killers, murderers, decoding the crime verse. 911, what's your emergency? Welcome back to Decoding the Crime Verse. I am Danny, and unfortunately, I have to start this week's show off with a bit of sad news, and that is that my co-host Nolene will no longer be on the show from this week. She has left Active FM, so you will just be stuck with me, <laughs> which is not necessarily a bad thing. So yeah, um, it's been very upsetting, but we have some amazing topics planned for the upcoming future. So I hope you will stick around and listen up for them. But let's get straight into today's topic. And we are once again going to one of my favorite eras, one of my favorite things to discuss, and that is the 1920s. I have loved them since a little girl. And if you followed the show from the beginning, you will know I have a complete obsession with them. An obsession being as I will watch an eight hour documentary on them like you would binge a Netflix show. So It's a little bit of a problem, but it's a good problem. (laughs) So today we are going to do Maya Lansky, and he was basically known as the mob's accountant. He was brilliant with finances, with money, with strategies, business. He was, yeah, one of the big guys. His names went down in the history books, if I can put it that way. And he ran in the same circles as Bugsy Siegel and Lucky Luciano. Now, those are two of my favorite gangsters. Luciano, I honestly, I have so much respect for him, despite the fact that he was a criminal. I mean, it takes a lot for a criminal to be named on a Forbes, um, the Forbes, I don't know what exactly it is, but they called him one of the titans of the 20th century. I mean, that's a huge achievement. So, Yeah, I got some respect for him, despite the killings and extortions and all of that. But we are going to look at Maya Langsey. And the 1920s and 1930s saw organized crime shift from street game to streamlined method of business. And that's the whole point of why it became known as organized crime, because it wasn't just now random thefts of a store and hustling on the side of the road. It was actually literally run like businesses. Your businesses was crime. And so Maya Lansky, as I said, was known as the mob's accountant and a key figure in this transition. He was known throughout the criminal world as a financial genius. Maya Lansky used Swiss bank accounts and shell companies to launder money and hide the mafia's vast wealth from the FBI. Lansky helped to establish the association of multi-ethnic criminal organizations that the press dubbed the National Crime Syndicate in 1934. His work, however, precedes the Prohibition days when he formed early friendships with gangsters like Bugsy Siegel and Charlie Luciano. And he was also known for his profitable casino ventures in the US and abroad, and he was physically small, well-composed, and incredibly clever. And although he was heavily involved in organized crime for nearly half a century, the FBI could not convict him. The most serious thing they could actually get on him was illegal gambling, which only landed him two months in jail. That's why I also have such respect for these guys. I mean, think about it like Al Capone. 
The person responsible for the St. Valentine's Day massacre can only be convicted for tax evasion? It just blows my mind. So Maya Lansky was born in 1902 in Gondo, I think that's what it says, which is, well, back then was part of Russian territory at present-day Belarus. This was not an ideal place for Jews at the time, and Maya Lansky was a Jew because anti-Semitism was mounting. And so the family actually then fled to the United States. Lansky arrived in New York with his mother and siblings in 1911 to join his father, who came over a few years prior. When he arrived, his parents actually couldn't remember his exact birth date, so immigration gave him a fitting American one, the 4th of July, of course. So now Manhattan's Lower East Side was where my Lansky was raised, and at that time it was packed with different cultures all crammed together in one neighborhood and this was because when people fled and immigrants flocked a lot of them didn't have money so they all settled mostly in like the slums and so we had Italians and Irish and Jews and there was a lot of problems between the different cultures and the different people obviously because of national pride and obviously traditions and things like that and there were these were the seeds for Langsy's organized crime. One of the first friends my Langsy actually made was Bugsy Siegel, who would later become Langsy's bootlegging partner. Then Langsy met Lucky Luciano when they were teenagers. Luciano ran a small Sicilian gang that extorted money from Jewish kids. And according to organized crime, which is a... A website obviously on organized crime. Luciano was impressed with Langsy's defiance against threats. Langsy excelled at maths and used his natural talents to start some backroom gambling games in his neighborhood. Just as his reputation around New York began to grow, so did the prohibition, and with it, the start of the golden age of organized crime. When the prohibition began officially in 1920, Maya Lansky told Bugsy Siegel that they had to organize in the same way the Irish and Italian gangs had. Together they formed the Bugs and Maya mob, which later became one of the most well-known prohibition gangs and lucrative run... I just got, I was about to say run-running. Rum-running, sorry. <laughs> Operations. That was a tongue twister. He also established an organization of Italian and Jewish gunmen for hire that would later become known as Murder Inc. and was headed by gangsters like Albert Anastasia and Louis Capone. Now, we have in the past done a show called Gangsters where we look more in depth into Murder Inc. I think it is honestly the coolest thing ever. I know, please hear my heart and not my words, but the whole name Murder Incorporated, it just, I don't know. A crime girl's gotta love it. Langsy managed to evolve this group of criminals into what, on the face of it, looked like an illegitimate business. That's what was so impressive, was on the outside, it looked like legitimate business, but behind the scenes, it's them bootleggers in the back and gambling dens and things like that. He also evolved with the times. When Prohibition ended in 1933, Langsy turned back into his beginnings gambling. He managed to open successful gambling casinos in New York, New Orleans, and Florida, all covertly. 
Now, I mean, there's big money in gambling. He was able to build a gambling empire on two principles. And these actually fascinated me. I didn't know this. The first was that unlike other gambling operations that were usually rigged, Lansky insisted on honest gaming, which is a big thing when you're running in the crime world because generally in organized crime your your whole motivation is profit and it's to get the most amounts of money and he was willing to play an honest game which i have to respect this was because he could use his genuine mathematical skills to effectively figure out the odds of the most popular wagering games so i think that's brilliant absolutely brilliant using your skills using his skills, using math and running an honest game. I thought that was very interesting. The second principle that kept his business intact was that he did not, ironically enough, use violence. Instead, he utilized mob protection and bribes against law enforcement. This enforced that the establishments were secure from other crime figures and police alike. So, I mean, two things. Honest games and no violence. I mean, that is two things that probably go against the natural stereotype of mobsters. And I think this is what made him so successful. He really, he really was more of a, I feel like a passive gangster. And I just find it amazing how he used the skills he had to move himself forward. Another thing I also really liked about him was that he always adjusted with the times. He didn't, after the prohibition and he's, now there's no bootlegging, just sit back and be like, oh, well. No, he turned his ventures into something else. To protect himself from prosecution, Langsy transferred illegal earnings from the casino empire into a Swiss bank account because in 1934... Well, the 1934 Swiss Banking Act allowed anonymity. So he didn't have a name on the account. That's why when you watch TV shows and stuff like that, they're always like, oh, it's in a Swiss account. It's because there's no names with the account. He went on to buy his own offshore bank in Switzerland so he could launder money through it. Before and during World War II, my Langsy's organization of Italian and Jewish gunmen, Murder Inc., often put their skills against the use of Nazi sympathizers in the United States. Langsy was therefore prepared when the American government approached him to join the World War II efforts. Now, obviously, being a Jew, this would have been a big cause for him because of the Holocaust and things like that. So, again, we do know if... We, it has been said that in the times of the World War, the government would actually ask the mob for help. There was a time, I think we spoke about this in our other gangster show about Luciano, but, and I could have my facts a little bit wrong because it's been a long time, but I do remember, I can't remember if it was World War One or World War Two. the government actually asked the mob to monitor the docks because the, the mobs basically ran the docks and it was to make sure that there were no enemy forces entering the country covertly. No one outside the FBI knows what happened to the individuals that were noted off in these tips, but we can assume probably death. But ever ambitious Mylanx, he turned his attention to Havana, Cuba when the war ended. Throughout World War II, Lucky Luciano had run casinos in Cuba, but the U.S. government pressured Cuba's authority dictator, uh, 
Batista to deport him and they succeeded. But then Mylansky stepped in and formed his own business relationship with Batista. The agreement was that in exchange for large sums of money, Batista would give Lansky control over Havana's racetracks and casinos, opening the city to a large-scale gambling. Batista also said his government would match any total investment over a million dollars. I mean... This guy was making money left, right, and center, and that's why he has the name the mob's accountant. You know, all these mobsters have their nicknames, like we've got Al Capone, Scarface, things like this. He was the mob's accountant. That is not something taken lightly. This man was brilliant with finances. On December 22, 1946, Lansky held the Havana Conference in the Hotel National. According to the Mob Museum, which again is a, uh, another website, all the major American leaders of the criminal underworld met there. Lansky shared his visions for a new Havana for whoever wanted to invest in it. It was also speculated that the assassination of Bugsy Siegel was planned here and put forth by Lansky himself. Now, Again, if you go back and listen to our show about Bugsy Siegel, he made a couple of mistakes. Bugsy Siegel was the person to actually start Vegas. He opened the first casino known as the Flamingo. It is actually still in Vegas. But there were some shady businesses there and he was then assassinated. It was never really... It's never really been solved of who did it and why, but this is speculation was that people were now upset with him. He was losing or stealing or wasting money things again it's been quite a while since i've looked at his story but people the mob was not happy with him and so many have speculated that he was killed because of it he then invested a huge sum of money into the casinos in cuba and even built his own meanwhile batista enjoyed his kickbacks and he received from langsy's success it's estimated that by the end of 1960s, Maya Lansky's net worth was over $300 million. Now, this is a lot, especially considering it's the 60s. But due to his careful and clever bookkeeping on paper, Lansky was almost worth nothing, which is a very clever thing as well. The fact when you don't go flashing your money everywhere and you're not wearing diamond rings and fur coats and stuff like that and you you act like a normal human, that money, no one knows that money is there, which is another clever move on his part. Because, I mean, a lot of times when criminals get bought in and they've seen that they've huge charges have been made and they've bought new houses and they've bought new cars, people are like, but where did you get the money? It's, it is a very easy way then to trace back, oh, you stole the money here or X, Y, Z. So to keep it under wraps, again, a smart move on the side of Maya Lansky. It actually took the communist revolution in Cuba to bring down Maya Lansky's Havana businesses. The revolutionaries led to Batista's removal and Fidel Castro's rise to power, which resulted in Lansky's expulsion from Cuba and his fortune seized by the government. However, Lansky continued to profit through the 1960s through loan shark ventures and numbers rackets for a time. In 1970, Lansky faced tax evasion charges. He attempted to escape to Israel under the law of return. So the law of return basically was after the Holocaust uh, because there was all this anti-Semitism and 
a lot of Jews that died and things like that. And I mean, there was also a bit of anti-Semitism in like the USSR. There was this whole thing of the law of return where Jewish people could return back to Israel. That's what that's speaking about, which gave Israeli citizenship to anyone of Jewish heritage. However, Langsy was denied permanent residency due to his criminal past and deported back to the US in 1972. Meanwhile, the FBI had closely monitored Langsky for years, but they could not find evidence that linked him to a major crime. He was convicted on contempt charges, but by the time he was in poor health due to lung cancer and the decision was overturned. He spent his last years quietly at his Miami beach home. On Jan 15, 1983, Maya Langsky died at 81. He was survived by his wife and three children and buried in Mount Nebo Cemetery in Miami. According to the New York Times, uh, Langsky's obituary, an FBI agent once admitted with grudging admiration that he would have been chairman of the board of General Motors if he had gone into legitimate business. So basically what people were saying is that if he had been legitimate, he would have made it far in the business world. The paper also noted that Lansky once boasted to an underworld associate were bigger than US Steel. And I mean, Steel was big at that time. Six months after his death, an associate, Vincent Jimmy Blue Eyes, showed up at Langsky's apartment to collect the last of an outstanding debt that he was owed to him. He found some jewelry, a few other valuable possessions, and some stocks and bonds, but not much else. Likewise, his family was shocked to find out that his estate was only worth $57,000. To this day, his family does not know where all his fortune went. Treasure hunt time. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> Actually, I wonder where all that money, because if he was worth over 300 million, I mean, it's got to be somewhere, probably in offshore accounts. But who knows? Langsky kept a notebook in his desk drawer in which he wrote, take the responsibility on your shoulders and it will leave no room for chips. So I definitely think he was a very prominent member in the underworld. I think he was a very respected member of the underworld. And I think he was a very clever member of the underworld. I mean, he made it far to me, only spend two months in jail and to live a life of successful crime. I mean, he had like downfalls, like when the prohibition ended or like when kicked out of Havana, but he didn't let that keep him down. He got back up and went into new ventures. And I think that is why he is so successful. And I honestly think he is one of the greats. Uh, he belongs up there with people like Al Capone and Luciano and Bugsy Siegel. But I think he was a very interesting member to, well, not member, but person to study. And I, I really found it interesting about his keeping the games honest and no violence policies. I thought that was quite different from what we normally see in the lives of mobsters. So that was Maya Lansky. I've got many more mobsters coming in the future, but I hope you enjoyed today's show. I hope you learned a lot, but from now until next time, goodbye. Share your thoughts with us. Send in your questions or simply tell us what you love most about Active FM. On the WhatsApp line 084-628-6060. Radio has never been better. Subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts and YouTube.